Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore, back from the cruise. Back from Alaska, back from Denali, back from the Inner Passage. How about that? Had you ever David been to Alaska before? From David? I'm sorry, Wait, what? Evan, we have not introduced you yet, so please remain quiet. Yeah, is he allowed quiet. to talk before he's introduced? Yeah, you cannot talk before you're introduced. Jeez. Uh, so did so, you, uh, had you ever been to Alaska before? I had not. It was, uh, I would say it actually exceeded expectations. It's just so, just the the raw beauty and it's it's just endless. I mean, you'll go for a hundred miles and you, and it's, you almost become inured to it because it's like, well, I mean, how many, you know, how many green mountains against the, you know, perfect, you know, ocean with ice top, you know, ice caps. Can you see, oh, wow. Then look at that. It's just, uh, it's, it's just goes on and on and on. It's spectacular. And it was, and you were freezing the whole time. It was a little cooler than, uh, the forecast said it was going to be. Um, but, Again, nothing like it is in the winter. <laughs> when, yeah. when you have when you have basically twenty two and a half hours of sunlight, that does help. Yes, it does. I, I've only been to Alaska once for the World Eskimo Indian Olympics. Went to Fairbanks. And it was right in the in summer, as you said. Uh, a very weird and and thing to. I'm driving around town. It's it's midnight or twelve thirty. It's just kind of got a little bit dusky, kind of like uh, you know, it's about. Yeah, to it's never really dark. Down. In no. fact, they call it there. They call it civil twilight. The where the where the sun goes down and then comes back up is actually civil twilight, which means it is more like dawn and dusk. Yeah. I mean, I, I looked out. I looked out of the hotel one night. It was like two thirty, and I could just see a guy like walking down the street. Well, I, that, that, that when I was there, there were kids riding their bicycles yeah. around yeah. in the middle of the night. And you got to just... make up for all of the. You got to make up for the other side of it, where uh, you have twenty three and a half hours of dark. Exactly. Uh, that would be a little depressing. Periods. Sorry. Oh no, gosh. thank you. No, thank you. All right, Evan, you get to come in now. Hi, Evan. Evan Grant, everybody. Oh, are y'all done with the world and its wondrous <laughs> facilities? Yeah, we are. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't I, have I, a baseball team in Alaska, so you don't get I, to go there. I've never been to Alaska. Yeah. And let's keep it that way, okay? Let's let's yeah. not I, I, mean, let's not I will go to Alaska sometime. I will catch a salmon and I will fight a bear <laughs> you promise if you yeah. would fight a bear i would i would boy what would i give for that evan fighting a bear i saw uh, a bear and was ready to run if needed but <laughs> i will fight a bear also i hiked a gl- on a glacier does that count as a sport no it does not count as a sport well, i mean it doesn't count as a sport have, have you ever hiked on a glacier uh did you have well, no did, there's a lot of things i've done that would not count as sports <laughs> Did you have crampons on your boots? I did have crampons on my boots. Those are required. Oh, I just wow. Like saying crampons. I bought, you know what? I bought crampons one time to go to uh, one of my Olympics and never, never put did them Did you on. really? Yes, I did. Never put them on. I still got them. They're like, they're like brand new. I could have, David, I would have let you have them. You should have let me have them. I would have. I would have let <laughs> yeah, you have I, them. I think that's a good thing to carry. I think they like having those on flights these days. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm sure they would like for me just to pull those out. That'd be great. Oh, on. I'm going to, I'm going to get some and wear them on the sideline at one of these games somewhere. I don't know. That'd be great. <laughs> People would like that. 
All right, that's going to do it for our uh, our podcast. Oh, wait a podcast. minute. Sorry, sorry, that's the wrong podcast. Um, no, we're going to we're going to talk about those uh, Mavericks. Uh, last week they had a draft. And they actually drafted a player in the second round, uh, uh, Jaden Hardy, who was a guy that was interesting about that is that there were some uh, uh, mock drafts that had him going to the Mavericks in the first round. Had that actually happened? Uh, had, had they actually kept that pick and not traded it to the Rockets for Christian Wood? Um, so they were pretty excited to get him. They traded two uh, uh, second round picks to get into back into the draft at thirty seven and took him in the second round. Uh, guy's a scorer. Um, he did not shoot really well in that Ignite team he played for, thirty seven percent. But uh, he is pretty highly regarded for his talent overall. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, they they did get <clears throat> Christian Wood out of that uh, uh, trade that they made with the Rockets. I think we talked about that last week. Uh, should be a, a, a good addition to a team. Big big upgrade there uh, at center for them um, over what Dwight Powell offers. Uh, much better shooter and a better rebounder than Powell as well. So uh, that was an upgrade. Now the question is, can they keep Jalen Brunson? The New York Knicks have cleared the books for an apparent run at him. Uh, his dad, Rick, is an assistant coach for Tom Thibodeau. He has been in the past, uh, and now he is again. Uh, his uh, Jalen's agent uh, is the son of the Knicks president, so there's a lot of connections uh, there, and, and so a lot of people are connecting dots uh, as a result and think that he will end up being the uh, – uh, being a signing by the, by the Knicks. So, David, let me ask you straight up front here. Do you think that uh, Jalen Brunson will sign with the Knicks? A lot of family pressure, right? Yeah, and, you would think so. You would and, think so. And, you know, how? who knows how that factors in, you know? I mean, that is – that can be a very compelling uh, voice and one that actually makes you reassess something you wouldn't – necessarily reassess i mean this is this is strictly up to him now you know the mavericks can pay more uh the the mavericks just from the standpoint of retaining an asset and getting something for him if he does go uh they can do a sign and trade or they can keep him and then move him you know what 18 months from now something like that yeah but uh this is all going to be on jalen brunson and and you know i even though the Mavericks can offer more, they're in a better position to win. He seems to work well and have a good relationship with Luka Doncic. Young players, you don't know how many people are in their head saying, well, look, you're always going to be second to Luka. Why don't you go and have your own team where someone is second to you? You know, you've earned that right. And you can say it doesn't make sense that Jalen Brunson isn't that sort of player, but you know, he's a better player than many thought he was going to be. And that drive to show you can do it on your own. You know, we've seen a lot of young teams and young tandems break up because the the player who was in the shadow of a greater player wanted to make their own name. Jalen Brunson doesn't seem to fit that profile as much as as the James Hardens and, and some of the other players that came before him who wanted to break up uh, a young nucleus. But uh, you know, people are in his ear telling him that. Yeah, absolutely. What rules the day here? Like, let's let's go through. Let's let's 
be a check. Let's let's do the checklist for Jalen Brunson, right? What okay. what rules the day? Let's let's go through the pros and cons. Pros are who can pay you more money and who will pay you more money. That's always first, right? Yes, and the Mavericks okay. have an extra year, so they can pay okay. him more. They give him a who's got a better shot at winning a championship? Well, obviously the Mavericks do at this okay. point. So, I mean, those are two pretty big check marks. Sure. They are, but it's just, you know, David laid out the whole thing about a, a guy's personality. And I, and I would not, let me just say right up front, I don't know Jalen well enough to, to say, oh, this is what he thinks and this is what he's going to do. You know, uh, you know, watching him and, and, you know, in interviews last year and asking him questions and, and all of that, you know, he's a, he's a different cat. So uh, I, he's very, obviously he's very smart. Um, and he was a winner in college at Villanova, won national championships. You know, this is a guy that, that all that is important to him. Uh, and and when you talk to him last year and you listen to him during the playoffs, especially when he talks about his teammates and what they're like, he clearly loves the team, clearly loves his teammates, clearly loves playing with Luka Doncic. Uh, he, he understands how his value in that role because, as David was saying, there's not a lot of guys – be willing to subjugate their ego and be the number two when clearly when, when Luca was out, he played very well, right? Uh, he, he showed he can do that. So these are things that on most players you could, you can tell and you can project and say, well, I think he would want to be the number one uh, because at some point the Mavericks have to, when you talk about the money, they say they won't be outspent on this, but listen, if that gets up to $175 million, the Mavericks aren't good. I just don't think they're not going to pay that. They're not going to pay that for 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 uh, for uh, you know like a guy that's uh, really a, not even a he's he's kind of the second he's more like the third is what he really is. Well, and then the issue they have is where they are on the cap. If they just lose him, they can't replace him. Right. So then you get into do you overpay knowing you overpay with the idea? Well, at least we'll be able to move him down the road and get something in return. Whereas now we wouldn't be able to. And and the other thing, you know, we didn't talk about, which is interesting. And, and Evan, you know, you've known this from being around player and this, this is athletes in all sports. Jalen Brunson felt disrespected by the organization because he didn't get a contract this past year. Right. This is, well, if you really like me now, now, look, he made himself a lot of money the way it played out. It, it worked to his benefit, but he doesn't strictly look at it in those terms. From a, from a business perspective, it worked out from him. From an emotional perspective, it is like, oh, well, you guys made it clear I wasn't a priority last year. Now you want me? Well, maybe, you know, let's, let's readjust this dynamic a little bit. Maybe I don't want you. Uh, some athletes take that as a tremendous slight and it will drive a wedge in a relationship with the club. It'll be interesting to see whether that factors in at all. It may, I, I, but I, I just feel like, you know, when you start assessing the pros and cons for players in all sports, if usually I would say well over 50% of the time, it comes down to money first championship capability. Second, um, Things like I, I tend to think that things like hometowns and family connections, we all like to make a big deal out of that. And I've seen it over and over where it just doesn't matter to the player. It's about the money and it's about the championships. And I, you know, my my example for you again is 
This winter, again, the Rangers went to Clayton Kershaw and said, we want you. We want you to come here. This is your home. You grew up here. You still live here. You've got a family of, of, of three kids, and you, you're just had a new baby. And Clayton's decision was the Dodgers have a better chance of winning, and they can pay me just as much money as the Rangers are. I'm going to go stay in L.A. And, and so I think and, – and I don't think you're going to come across like a more honorable – professional athlete in terms of, of prioritizing things than, than you will in, in, in Clayton Kershaw. And so that's why I just feel like let's cut to the chase here, money and championships. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. We over inflate the importance of home and, and family to athletes when they're making decisions with the potential to change clubs. To me, what makes this different is you actually have family members who are part of the organization and long-term friends who are close family friends who are also part of the organization. That's a little bit different dynamic than just, you know, hey, go back home to where you uh, – where all your family and friends and where you grew up. Plus, and you one, the one thing – just – I'm sorry. Let me step out. The one other thing, the one wild card here is I think you guys know in the NBA that the coasts matter perhaps more than in other sports, right? New York matters more. L.A. matters more. So you can't discount that fact. No, you can't. Uh, but and, and to go back to David's point about di- being disrespected, they decided that Dorian Finney-Smith was more important than him. They gave they gave uh, Dodo the, the contract in the middle of last year, um, and that was an indication I got last summer that that's what was going to happen, that they <clears throat> had decided that he was just more important. I think, as you saw, it, you know, I say certainly they're close. You know, I, I would uh, I would say that 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 uh, from the way that season ended up, that certainly uh, uh, he was more important than than Finney Smith was. But uh, there were times that that was a very very close thing. So it'll be interesting to see how they work that out. Uh, they've got a lot of decisions to make uh, going into uh, this offseason and free agency, which begins by the way Thursday at five p.m. Uh, and they can start discussing these things uh, with free agents. So. Uh, they, they have a few fallback positions that uh, they can take, uh, but it's going to be very difficult to, re- as David said, to replace that. You can't go in and spend that kind of money that you'd be spending on um, uh, on him. So I, I do think that uh, the best thing to do probably is that they will have to sign him, whether they, it's a sign and trade or if they sign and keep him for a short while and try to make that work because they are trying to win now. There's no question about that. What was right. can, Kevin? Can you give me the actual uh, um, uh, gestation period or life expectancy for what the Kyrie to the Mavs story? How long did that last? Oh, about the three seconds, point two <laughs> seconds, something like. Can you imagine that? I mean, that was supposedly one of the places he said, "Yeah, he'd be willing to go." It's like, yeah, right. Let's that was a, it. Was a fun fifteen minutes on Twitter. I will say that. Oh my gosh. I, I, I do think that, seriously, where else – he's got to play for the Lakers. If he's going to play anywhere, he has to play for the Lakers because LeBron James is the one guy who would say, knock it off, let's go. You know, he's won with him before, and and he understands him. He doesn't have to be the leader. Obviously, it didn't it, – the, the chemistry – not not that they, they – they get along fine. He gets along fine with Kevin Durant, but clearly Kevin Durant's not able to tell him Come on, man! You got to you got to do this. Get on board here. Let's let's try to figure this out. So I feel sorry for the for fans of the Brooklyn Nets. What a disaster that has all been over the last couple of years. 
All right, let's get one thing it. before we break away on this real quick. Just a a longtime Mavericks employee. Uh, oh, Keith we Grant. forgot. Okay, uh, that's right. We want to talk about Keith Grant. That's right. Exactly. Which is fitting because he's had such a low profile in his forty two years with the uh, organization, but but he did have a significant impact on on the Mavericks. Yeah, he went all the way from equipment manager, or as some like to say, ball boy, uh, on the very first Maverick team in nineteen eighty eighty one. He became uh, the de facto GM at uh, at, yes, at he one did. point in his career. I remember calling Keith and asking him uh, about Yao Ming. At that time, we weren't sure what kind of player Yao Ming was going to be. And I, I asked him, does, does Yao Ming mean Sean Bradley in Chinese? And I don't think I don't think Keith liked the joke. <laughs> it was um, a bad joke all the way around, Kevin. Well, it might have been a bad joke. Just but, bad you know, joke. he was a little bit better. Yao Ming was a little bit better than Sean Bradley. Uh, so they, they didn't have a chance to get him. But, yes, What's Keith Graham, great guy, very low-key, never uh, – Boy, as outstanding as, in every job he did for the organization, and I'm yeah, very, very he's loyal. A grant for crying guy. out loud! No, he's yeah, he's the he's the rare beneficial grant. There <laughs> yeah, was well, maybe was, maybe we could just call you the outlier. There was U- Ulysses Grant, and then there was Keith Grant. You call me a liar? And then there was it's breaking up in here. Did you just call me a liar? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that too. Outlier and a liar. Uh, so, uh, Christian Vasquez, our, our producer is saying, come on, let's go move on you guys. So we're, we're moving on from our, uh, Mavs segment of the podcast over into I, I believe this until Christian starts like actually po- participating in the podcast. Well, he's participating. Like, all right. He he's, doesn't he, have, like, you see that look on his face. You, you see the look on Christian's face. It's like, he, he should have a voice. Us. No, he's not going to talk. He's, he's got to deal with us. He should actually be able to talk. He's playing like Keith Grant. This is what he's doing here. He's he's being very quiet in the background. Uh, so nope. in the uh, Evan, shut up. <laughs> so now we're moving into the Rangers part of the podcast where you can actually get to talk. Uh, so this will be good. Uh, so so right. Ra- so the Rangers. Yeah. The Rangers are in Kansas City as we tape this. Uh, they uh, won the first night. Uh, and even though they won what was it, by six runs, Evan decided he was going to write a story ripping poor Corey Seager, who all he's done is take his, his $350 million and uh, and go out there and put up a two twenty seven uh, batting average so far. The guy's trying as hard as he can, Evan, and you're ripping him. That's me, Kevin. <laughs> I just rip away. No, I <laughs> – listen, I, I think that um, – you know, Corey's been a hard nut to crack. He's been he's been hard to to get to know. I think some of that is circumstances related to when he signed the lockout, the very short period of spring training. I think part of it is also just related to he's a pretty private person and he's got a very detailed routine that he goes through every day, one on individually. Um, but I have no doubt that the guy is trying to get things figured out. I just wonder if. He's trying to do this. You know, what I the sense I got yesterday in talking with him was, look, this is my problem. Uh, I'm not where I want to be, and I've got to solve it. And that's all admirable. But I also wonder if in this day and age, this is kind of it takes a village, you know, and he does work on video and he does talk with people around the league, but I don't know if he's tapped into the Rangers coaching staff as much as he could possibly tap in. And I don't know if the Rangers coaching staff is, is comfortable yet saying, Hey, let us help you fix this. Um, and so it's a, uh, it, it, it's an issue that, um, 
that has got to be worked through. And I'll just go back to this, Kevin. I thought Clayton Kershaw, again, I try and bring Clayton into every, uh, <laughs> every segment we do. Um, but over the weekend, you know, Freddie Freeman went back to Atlanta with the Dodgers. His first trip back to Atlanta was very emotional for Freddie. He cried. He broke down several times. And Clayton said something after the series about how he, you know, he understands that and he thinks that when, when – Freddie gets comfortable in L.A., he's going to really enjoy it. And I think that, that some of that may may hold true also with Corey. He's holding on to things that he did with the Dodgers, that he's done all his career. And once he kind of lets go of some of that and and works into the system here a little bit more, I think he's going to find that he's going to be both more productive and more at ease. Let me well, ask you, how, how do you handle that, though? Because it's not just his problem. I, I know he says it's his problem. He's part of a team. It's not just his problem. And if you're not interacting with the coaching staff to, to see what's going on, I mean, I, I that, that just really puzzles me. I mean, I, I get it. I know athletes have routines and and they're they're low to come off of that, even in bad times. They feel they know best and, and often they do, but you still have to interact with the team you're on. Well, and he's, I mean, let me say this. It's not like he doesn't interact. And, I mean, he certainly does work in cages and everything. He just doesn't, he's not on the on the field for batting practice very often because that's not part of his regular routine. He takes his batting practice in the cages. And he talks to the staff. It's not like he doesn't talk to the staff. But I, I think that, I think there is this, this, tri, this kind of dance that everybody's doing to triangulate what Corey gets from outside with what he gets from inside. And that, that does take some time. And I think all your points are, are good, David, but the other part about it we've seen time and time again with athletes is there's this real delicate dance that they do between being stubborn and sticking to what they know works best for them and being willing to change. And that to get to that point where you're able to balance those two things, as I make my international hand sign for balance, or blend those things, I think is it, 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 it's, it, it takes some art. Yeah. The, the problem with all this is that, uh, and what we see in baseball is that, you know, stuff happens a lot faster than it used to. Uh, people figure things out a lot faster. Teams figure you out a lot faster than they used to. And so therefore it requires constant adjustments. And if you're doing things the way you've always been doing them, uh, I, I think that makes it more difficult, um, frankly. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much of this is when you're surrounded by the Dodgers lineup, uh, people are going to approach you differently from the way they're going to approach you when you're in the middle of the Rangers lineup, which is, listen, noticeably better than it was last year. There's no question about that. Uh, it, this, is a, this is a big league lineup that the Rangers have now. Last year it was a minor league lineup, uh, so that's a big difference and makes and and I think it frankly I think that's impacted a lot of people on, on this team some some for the better some for the worse I think we're we're certainly well, seeing that that with uh, Adolis Garcia whose whose uh, production this year um, I mean you know we know what he did in the first half of last year really struggled in the second half well he he looks like he's in the middle between those two things right now which is probably the player. He really is and has the capability of being long-term. But the, well, both he and, and Nathaniel Lowe have over 900 OPSs in June, right? And so they've shown some ability to help carry this team if Seeger and Simeon are struggling. Uh, we've seen all year that Jonah Heim has made some significant strides forward 
uh, offensively as a catcher. And I think what we've seen here in the last couple of weeks is that Josh Smith has this potential to be a legitimate big league on, you know, on base guy. So you fold all of that in, all of a sudden now you're a six, a six hitter lineup deep. That's stretching things out pretty good. Um, but it's still, if Seager and Simeon are performing below capabilities, everybody else has to carry them. And that's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah, it's not just below. It's it's way below. Uh, the You know, you're talking about a guy, Simeon, who, who – set a major league record for second baseman in home runs last year. I don't think anybody was expecting him to hit 45 home runs again, but wouldn't be too much. Hope he'd hit 30, you know? And, uh, and so these guys have really struggled, you know, that it would make the decision, a pro- decision-making process for John Daniels and Chris Young uh, a lot better. If those two guys were playing up to the level, they should, if those two guys were playing to the level they should, and then what they're being paid to, to do, then I think the range, it would, I would say that the Rangers probably have three or four more wins, and this would be a, a team that would have legitimate reason to add starting pitching. Uh, and I think they still probably have legitimate reason to do that because they simply can't go through the rest of the season the way they are now. They're going to just burn out their bullpen here pretty soon. There's nobody in the minor leagues ready to come up. They really need to make a deal here, don't they, Evan? I think they need to add a pitcher. I need. I think they either need to take the leap and say we're going to give Spencer Howard the opportunity to pitch up here, or they need to be working on getting a, a pitcher. Um, I, listen, in talking with John Daniels last night, again he brings up the glass half full component, and that is that this team has hovered around 500 for a long period here without Seager or Simeon performing, and that they still do feel confident that these guys are going to perform. And if they do get on a hot streak and this team, you know, has one hot week, it changes the perspective dramatically. But I think both he and Chris Young are approaching this next month as let's look for opportunities where we can help this team. As, as he said last night, let's make baseball deals. And I, I think in their mind, that means let's go out and try and add to the core of this of this long term of this long term vision. And in that regard, I mean, I think it focuses on, is there a trade out there for a controllable starting pitcher? What's the price? And are and are you confident enough in, in Josh Smith and Ezekiel Duran to potentially part with a middle infielder? And I think right now you have to sit back and say yes to a lot of that stuff, you know? Yes, you, yes, you do. So do you have any names, any pitchers that you like out there that might be available? Well, I mean, I, I think the two names at the top of the market who would be controllable and potentially available are Frankie Montas and Luis Castillo. And um, that's no secret. That's that's out there. There's there's plenty of other guys who will be available. And I think it just goes back to this, Kevin. It's, you know, the Rangers are going to look at this perspective from a perspective of, can we get somebody who's going to help make us better in 22 for whatever, for whatever, purposes that serves, whether it's getting to 500, whether it's potentially making a playoff run, whatever that is, but more significantly for 23 and 24. So you're looking for a guy with two plus years of control. And I think both both Castillo and Montas fit into that into that realm. The other question, though, is, you know, there's a lot of teams that are more legitimately in the playoff picture right now that are thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I just like the idea. You know, I, I would throw Tyler Mayo's name into that too. The Reds, the Reds have been they bailed on the season before it even started. So he's pitched well recently, and he's twenty seven years old. Uh, I I just feel like that uh, going into next season, 
we haven't seen enough from their minor league prospects, from the pitchers, to make you think one of these guys is ready to step into the rotation next year. You're going to have to add a starting pitcher to this lineup next year anyway. You need to get a – so go out and, and find you a controllable guy who's going to be here, a veteran presence, because they, they need another veteran pitcher. But, I, in this Kevin, I think, your decision, I think your decision on that comes down to this. Do we go out and trade for that guy, or do we say – we've got to add in free agency. I haven't looked deeply at the free agency class for 23, but you know, you can still add that way. And, and that might be preferable. It's just a question of what's going to give you more long-term value. I think. Well, I I understand the the long-term value, but as I'll go back to the point I made a while ago, you don't want to burn up this bullpen either. I mean, you you can't keep going on and saying, okay, we're going to, you know, even if you bring up Spencer Howard, the guy hasn't pitched over five innings in any game this year. No, I don't like the bullpen game idea. I just don't. No, I I don't either. It's just, it's just no way to go. And and then plus, yeah, I, and then you wrote about this and I think you're exactly right. You, you, you owe something to the fans as well. If this team is, close to being pretty competitive and you can go out. I don't, I don't want them to give up Ezekiel Duran or, or Josh Smith or somebody like that in a deal, but maybe Justin Foscue, you know, uh, because this team is loaded up with middle infielders in the, in the system and in the major league level. One of these guys has probably got to go. And, and if you can, if you can get somebody who you're going to have for a little while, in two or three years, and maybe be able to sign to a longer term deal and help you win some games this year. And, 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 you know, frankly, it's a long season, and if you go out there and you're just burning up your bullpen the whole time, then then you're 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 hurting people. You're hurting people's careers. You're you're hurting your fan base. You're hurting a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I will just leave. I'll leave it with this, right? The the Rangers are sixteen and five since May first when Martin Perez or John Gray start. They've played really well with those guys on the mound. Um, it says a lot about how poorly they've done and how poorly the other guys have done that they're 16 and five with those two guys starting. And this team is still three is still two games under 500 for the year. It, it makes you very emotional to talk about it. I can tell. Well, I've got a little bit of dust in my throat. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> dust I'm in sorry. my throat. Oh, for heaven. <laughs> the Rangers. All right. That's going to do it for our Rangers segment of the podcast. We're going to reserve one little thing that Evan wanted to talk about for our our ever popular potpourri segment, uh, but we're we're going to move on now to talk about the the uh, the Cowboys uh, and uh, well, I guess we're in the the potpourri segment, aren't we? We're going to talk yeah, a little what is football. In, what's in potpourri today? Well, in potpourri, it's potpourri. Potpourri is something co- completely different, and let's not even talk about that. Uh, but uh, in our potpourri segment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Arch Manning committing to Texas. Uh, the you know some people some people will tell you he is the recruit of the century, the century, uh, and the uh, and the Longhorns have signed him. The century is only twenty two years old. Well, that's still a long time, pal. Best recruit of twenty two years. That's pretty good. Uh, and he, so he is on board. Quinn yours is still there. Of course, he was the number one quarterback in his class. So they have two number one quarterbacks, uh, not to mention Hudson card, who was ESPN's second rated quarterback in his class. So, uh, I think you can make the case. This is the most talent that they probably ever assembled on the 40 acres in one year. Uh, now I, I I'm trying to remember, uh, I guess, uh, Vince Young and Colt McCoy were on campus at the same time. The, those two guys were better quarterbacks, but I'm just saying that for, were 
as far as coming in with the credentials that they had and who these guys were supposed to be, this is a pretty formidable group. We'll see if they're all still around two years from now. Uh, if uh, Quinn yours is still here, uh, if Hudson card is still here. Uh, so there, that's uh, always the transfer portal for anybody who feels like that they're getting shafted. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it was pretty impressive for Steve Sarkeesian. And I, and I think this is exactly what Texas fans were aiming for the, the boosters who moved this deal. I, and I, I give Chris Del Conte a little bit of credit as the AD for hiring him, but there were big boosters who were pushing this thing through that we want Steve Sarkeesian. And I think the reason they wanted him was not because of his record as a head coach, which was not very impressive. I think they gave it to him. They wanted him because of all the things that he can do uh, as far as offense and particularly at quarterback because of the quarterbacks he's worked with and they hoped he would attract. This is a, uh, a program that has never in, in its history been big on quarterbacks. There, there have been They've seven missed big at times. Well, yeah, they have well, they missed plenty big. They, they have had seven quarterbacks drafted uh, by an, a, a professional football league. Seven. Rice has had six. So that tells you everything you need to know about Texas quarterbacks. And, of course, as David pointed out, yeah, recently they had quite a run, Mac Brown, uh, of, of quarterbacks that they did either didn't offer or uh, they were wanting them to play defensive back. Uh, Johnny Manziel, Robert Griffin III, Jameis Winston. Uh, oh, gosh, on and on and on. Uh, it, it was really almost laughable at some points. And then the guys that they ended up with, like old Colt McCoy's brother, Case, who's throwing, you know, sidearm out there. So it, it was really remarkable. Had Mac Brown actually signed any of those guys, I, I think Mac Brown might still be the head coach at Texas. Yeah. Uh, he, he might've won a national championship with one of the, if he had signed Johnny Manziel, can you imagine him playing at, for Texas that time? Cause Texas was a better team than A&M was at that time. So, uh, and playing in the big 12, instead of playing in the sec and Johnny was dying to go there, dying. His high school coach told somebody if they had offered him to play at offensive tackle, he would have signed with Texas, you know, and that, that shows you how, how bad all that was. And the reasoning for all of it is just, you know, the, the, the answers that they gave at the time were terrible. So for them to turn around this program that way and, and attracting these kind of quarterbacks, it's really quite phenomenal. Uh, there was no reason for Texas not to have these kinds of quarterbacks. I just can't really tell you that, you know, they went through such a long period where so many of their quarterbacks were about my size, about 5'11", 185 pounds. Why in the world do you want quarterbacks that size? Uh, but they went one after another after that and did not, for all the guys they've had drafted, Texas by far and away leads all the programs in this state and players drafted. But to only have seven of them quarterbacks just tells you their, their thinking on this wasn't very good. So, so now it's different. We'll see how that, how yeah, I th that goes. Yeah, I think they've altered, you know, Sarkeesian has altered the perception of the program, but now they have to actually start to win some key games going forward. Yeah, that would and, help. And we'll see how that how that unfolds. But but I mean, this is a step. This is a step they needed to take. Uh, now we'll see how it translates. Yes, we will. We'll see how that translates. All right. We also had the uh, the fact that the kickoff classic uh, at Jerry World is uh, no more, at least for now. Uh, after Kansas State and Stanford drew twenty eight thousand last year. 
I think they decided maybe if we can't get some, if we can't get Alabama or Michigan in here, um, maybe, maybe we won't be in this business. Um, I, I think it's a good question. Uh, Chuck Carlton wrote about that for the Dallas morning news, uh, and, and talked to the guy in charge of, uh, kind of acquiring these types of games out there. Uh, and he talked about the fact that neutral site games are getting more difficult uh, for schools. They like having the, the games at home. However, there are still neutral site games everywhere. There are kickoff classics, as Evan found. Evan, give us a couple of those that you found. Oh, Kevin, I closed that tab. But Did you really? Still one, there's still one at uh, that Chick-fil-A sponsors at the Mercedes-Benz um, Dome in Atlanta. This year, that's Georgia and Oregon. Um, that whole weekend, they actually have other games because Georgia Tech will play Clemson in an ACC contest that same weekend. Um, but uh, LSU is playing Florida State in New Orleans, and I think yeah. that's kind of a – that they've turned that into a neutral um, site, home and home, so to speak, because next year they will play in Orlando. Um, and then there's a bigger slate of games uh, next year. I think North Carolina and South Carolina will play in Charlotte. Uh, th- those are the ones that stand out. And look, Jerry World, he's still got college games coming in there, right? He's still got A&M and Arkansas. Right. And that's, that's going to be a bigger draw, uh, as you said, unless we get back to basically normal times and you can – draw the likes of who he draw early on, Michigan, Florida, Alabama, USC. You can't bring Kansas State and Stanford in here and expect to draw a full house, and it's just not worth it to Jerry. No, it's not. Uh, and that a and Arkansas deal is running out, though. That's going to go back to a home-and-home home here, I believe, maybe even after this season. I can't remember exactly when. I think uh, no, I think it's still next year that they play. I didn't realize that it was, it was ending, but I, I think they've still got at least one more year. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the kickoff classic, though, you get into, do you really do it or are you just doing it to have a game because you've had it in the past? And, right. and that's what they've gotten into this year. Like you say, last year's game, uh, didn't excite a lot of people. Uh, now it's like, okay, do we keep this going or do we just do it when we can get a marquee matchup? And if you can't get a marquee matchup, uh, they, they really don't have trouble scheduling it at AT&T Stadium. And so then you get into the, well, why are we scheduling just to schedule? And doesn't that really hurt the prestige of, of who we are and what we're doing? So uh, if you can't get a marquee matchup with the way college football is structured now, I, I don't see. But, but, you know, it's interesting. I thought Chuck's piece was really interesting because it gets to just the intense pressure that uh, business owners put on on you know the the universities to say well wait a minute we support you year round and you're taking a home game away from here which is a boost to our economy what what are you doing how often are you going to do this and and there uh these considerations are are more and more uh in, in today's world and hey wouldn't it be great to stage this at like a really big venue uh i i think everyone who lives in that community says well wait a minute that doesn't benefit us in fact it takes money out of our pocket yeah no question about that and plus you have also the factor that in, in the alabama's michigan whatever they also were free to tell you the reason we're doing this is so we can get into texas we want to get a foothold yeah. in here so recruits can come and see us easily and see what see what we're like and what we're all about and and now with especially in the SEC, Alabama doesn't need to do that anymore. They come in here to play A and M, and pretty soon they'll be coming in to play Texas. So 
they, they're getting exposure in Texas as it is. They don't need to play these kind of games anymore. So it's going to be difficult for them from here on out. Um, all right, Evan, did, is there something you want to talk about, about the Rangers in our, in our potpourri segment? Well, Rangers? you know, I like to go back to the dumbest thing that people said this week. That can, we can spend a, just between the three of us. We can spend a whole we, hour and a half. Just about done that. that for forty-five minutes. <laughs> what what are you going to pick? I woke up Saturday morning to find out that um, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa had reportedly said that the Rangers had "quote unquote" shafted Jose Trevino before they sent him to the New York Yankees, and for the life of me, I could not figure out what sense any of that made, and it, I. I think after thinking about it for a long period of time, it came down to this. Isaiah has always said lots of stuff um, and found windmills to kind of tilt at and people who have just diminished and, and, and um, slighted his abilities. And that's always worked for him. That's always been good motivation for him. Uh, but I think the problem with that sometimes is you run out of people who are slamming you. And in this case, what he did, and I think, I, I think wrongly, is he dragged another teammate into the situation. And I don't think that if you spoke to Jose Trevino, and when the, when the New York Post did speak to Jose Trevino, he kind of steered clear of anything about the Rangers potentially shafting him because the Rangers gave Jose Trevino opportunities. They gave him three years where he, was the, where he started more games than any other catcher on, in, in, this, in this franchise. Um, and, and so it's just one of those things where, where sometimes players try and find motivation, uh, and that's all great, but just be, be accurate, you know, just be accurate. Well, I think there are two, two things. And then you alluded to that. Uh, one was that Isaiah kind of did get shafted by the Rangers in many ways. They tried to make a catcher out of him. That was, uh, you know brutal to try to do that to a guy with certainly with his build as well. It was just all kind of crazy that they would try to do that. Uh, he, he wins a gold glove at third base and then they move him over to shortstop. You know, he got moved around a lot. A lot of things happened. You could, you could say maybe he got shafted a little bit. I don't think I'm, I'm with you. Jose Trevino didn't get shafted. However, he is playing unbelievably well this year. And we'll he's see probably going to be an all-star. He's probably going to be an all-star. He's got, Though he's played a, a significantly less than guys like Jonah Heim and and uh, Sean Murphy, I mean, he's had a lot of big hits for the Yankees. He's very popular there. He's gotten a lot of highlights, and so when players vote, and right now he's second in the fan voting, when players vote, there's going to be a lot of support for Jose Trevino, and and good on him, you know, good good on him for for doing this. I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. Um, he had tried so many batting stances and so many in, in Texas that just didn't seem like there were any chance that they would produce uh, offense. And he's taken advantage, perhaps, of some of the, the short right field porch in New York uh, to some extent. He's, he's hit better in New York. Everybody always knew he was a good framer. And listen, while the Rangers asked him to be a leader, I think Jose – is very comfortable being part of a leadership group, but in New York he can take on a the small the smaller role, right? He can he can work with the pitchers, do that with the pitchers, and the other guys, the the judges and the Stantons and that group can run the clubhouse. You know, 
can we make it something about the fact that the it's the Rangers who have carried the the, the Yankees to where they are now? Uh, Joel Sherman wrote an interesting column in the New York Post about a week ago, um, in which he said that the Yankees, by and large, have Mitch Garver to thank for their for their um, uh, excellent excellent start this season. And his point was that. The Rangers traded Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to Minnesota for Mitch Garver. Um, Kiner-Falefa had always been somebody that the Yankees wanted, and the Yankees were able to go out and get him and, and change their shortstop situation. Then the Rangers found that they had too many catchers because of Mitch Garver. So they traded Jose Trevino to the Yankees. Then when Garver got hurt, and he was going to be limited to being a DH, it completely shut off any path that Matt Carpenter, who had been in the Rangers system, had to get back to the big leagues with the Rangers. So the Rangers let him go, and the Yankees signed him. And here in June, all three of those guys have played pretty big roles for the Yankees. Yeah, pretty crazy, isn't it? And we're not even talking about Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo is not playing that big a role for the Yankees. No, he's not. He's not, unfortunately, poor Joey. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate anybody and everybody who tunes in. Uh, we, we do appreciate that very much. Uh, we hope that you will tune back in next week when we will be back once again uh, on July the 4th week. I know there's some movement in the Dallas Morning News maybe to, to take the week off. Not, not for the Sports <laughs> Day Insider. No, sir. Not not any chance. We're always out there working. We're working hard every. I may every take the week off next week. No, well, you know, we're used to that. So that's I'll you on the in, road. I'll, I'll be in New York. I'll be gallivanting around New York next July. Next week, uh, Tuesday is um, Gina Gina's birthday, and we'll be in New York. So I'm planning to give her a grand day in New York City. Good for you. That'd be great. You and uh, is that with Joey Gallo? You'll be gallivanting, gallivanting. No, I don't think so. It's just just be me and Gina. (laughs) Okay, all right, just you and Gina. That's good enough. Unless she starts to scream that she can't take anymore. That's enough. Yeah, that's probably for sure. That's that's why we went out to dinner with you last week, Kevin. Well, because she's got nothing else to do. Yeah, she could not. She couldn't stand a dinner alone with me. All right, all right. Well, thanks everybody. We'll see you. Bye.